0: Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. My name's Eric. If you haven't met me, we'd love to answer any questions you might have. Help you get connected to our church. Uh, just a few questions I got during last service. So apparently there's a lot of guys wearing my T-shirt up here. And so first question is, one, is it a cult? No. Two, is it a club? Yes. It's a club for guys who wives like to make fun of them. Um, three, yes, there will be a group picture And for Father's Day, will be epic. So with all of that, we are going to close out our discipleship series here in Matthew 28. If you want to go ahead and uh, get there and get ready. Um, One of the things we have been trying to implement in our church is to add a layer of just this one-on-one discipleship. That we've been just so blessed by the attendance on Sunday mornings that we feel like people are gathering and worshiping. Uh, we're seeing large numbers in Bible studies, men's, women's, uh, couples, children, youth. And just to add another layer where we get one-on-one uh, and have a, a deeper, more uh, maybe personal, intentional conversation about what you're doing in your faith. And, and what does it mean to be like Jesus? What does it mean to follow the scripture and, and do what God requires? And so uh, we notice in a, in a lot of churches sometimes, sadly, discipleship's just a word it gets thrown around. Um, it gets assumed, um, but it's not actually done. And so our heart is from, from this moment forward, if anyone ever says, hey, I, w- I want to be discipled," uh, that we would have people that have been trained and are ready to walk with you in that process, that you would never have to just keep searching. And so we're going to kick that off on May 19th here at LVC at 530 to 730 and walk through the materials and how you do it and um, how you get paired up and all that fun stuff. So you can mark that on your calendar. And uh, we're going to pray and close this out before uh, next week we get into 1 Samuel. So let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you uh, just that we have your word. It's what a gift it is. It teaches us. It commands us. It instructs us. And so we just pray that you would help us open up Matthew 28 and take it serious, uh, that we would love you with all our heart, soul, and mind, that we would uh, live underneath your authority, that we would make disciples, that uh, we would know you 're with us always, and so we just pray for your words to speak and not for mine uh, in Jesus, and we pray. Amen okay, so matthew 28 we 're going to pick it up in around eighteen uh, through 20, and just kind of look at really the four alls that Jesus talks about in this passage that he says he has all authority and to go to all nations and teach all He commanded, and that he is with us always. And this last part here, it's very important because this helps us see see that, you know, discipleship is not a professional thing, a pastoral thing. It's a Christian thing. And the the Christian part of discipleship is that we're coming under, point one here, all authority. The authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus is huge. Uh, I think our culture, they love the authority of Jesus to save, but not the authority of Jesus to tell me what to do. And kind of what happens is Jesus hasn't been broken up into, Jesus has the ability to tell me, you know, I go to heaven, but he doesn't have rule or reign when it comes to maybe my marriage, uh, what, I, what I do online, what I do at work, how I parent, um, my vocabulary, uh, my attitude, uh, any of those kinds of things. That's really mine. And then you see it even morphing into, but Jesus can't tell me, you know, uh, what gender, how, who and how to be married. He can't tell me, you know, more and more things. It's, I think it's safe to say that we just don't like authority. Is that fair? You know, do kids like authority? No, well, adults are just grown up kids, right? Like, we just don't like authority. Uh, but think about this, that authority is absolutely necessary. It has to come from somewhere. Imagine trying to raise your house or live in your house with no authority. Imagine if your kids said, You can't tell me what to do, and you literally couldn't tell them what to do. That would be a bad household, would you agree? Okay? Work, if it worked that way, if there was no authority. Uh, in schools, if there's no authority, we would all be in lots of trouble, wouldn't we? Okay? So it's huge to think that Christ says He has all authority, and that touches every facet of our life. Okay? Just some simple things to think through uh, is that His authority. I mean, think about this, is that over even our bodies, did you control how tall you were? Your face shape, your ethnicity, skin color. If you're, you know, big bone, small bone, long nose, short nose, blue eyes, green eyes, brown eyes. And even that amount of no control drives us nuts, doesn't it? Right? People spend thousands of dollars saying, no, I should have been like this. No, you don't get to tell me that I should be this color, that color, this height, that, whatever it is, hair color. And really, Jesus, he puts us in location, he puts us in height, he puts us in all of these things. That He has authority over that, authority over the ethnicity, even authority over the gender. He decides, you're born male, you're born female. He has authority over all of these things. And what starts to happen is people want to limit the authority of Jesus based on things like culture, based on things like time. And you'll hear arguments said like this, well, you know, that was back then. And back then, they just didn't understand sociology. They didn't understand the human brain. And so here would be my question for you, is what we really want to say, or we're really going to allow people to say, is that Jesus' authority was really only good for a first couple thousand years. And he was waiting for someone like Caitlyn Jenner to come along, change gender, and say, this is really what Jesus wanted the whole time. The ability to change. Jesus really didn't have authority over that. Is that what you're seeing in this text? No, because all authority means all authority. And verse 20, to the end of the age. Jesus there's nothing he doesn't have authority over. He has authority over what the truth is. He has authority over the ocean, over the wind, over the angels, over the demons, over our bodies. He defines truth. He determines that murder is hate. Right? That hate in our heart is the same as murder. That The consequences of sin is eternal damnation in hell, if not paid for by Christ. He chooses that we're to grow in him, that we're to be a church that gathers and sings to him. He has authority over all these things in our lives. So there's no shared authority. There's no, I listen to Jesus at church, but then I listen to this podcast, this influencer, this author, and then myself, and I kind of take all of them, put them together, and that equals authority over my life. That's kind of what happens in our culture, isn't it? We love the Jesus that has authority to take me to heaven, but we hate the Jesus that has authority to tell me how to talk, how to spend my money, how to be married, how to dress. Jesus addresses modesty, doesn't he? Jesus addresses beauty. He addresses everything we need. And then we try to dismiss it by saying, "Oh yeah, but back then, back then." Do we really want to limit Jesus to saying He's only in charge of the first couple hundred years of life in the church era? Even don't you think that's a terrible argument? Okay, so let's look. When we say we're a disciple, we're bringing ourselves under the authority of Christ because He says He has all of it, and it's to go to every nation. And it's to be taught everything that he commanded and that he'll be with us and it's till the end of the age. There's no break in there, is there? And he says he's communicated that authority through his word. John 5.39 says the scriptures bear witness about Christ. The Old Testament points to him. His authority is there in the Old Testament saying, behold the light, the lamb's going to come and pay for the sentence. Of those whom he dies for. So the Old Testament, New Testament, they speak of these things. What else do we see in the authority of Christ? He says that scripture matters. How many times has he said, You have heard it said, I tell you, the prophets spoke. You have heard it said in the Old Testament. He references Job, he references Jonah, he references Abraham. Why? Because the scripture has authority. They're a part of his authority, his communicated authority. Communicates that God's all powerful, right? The I am, he is, he exists always and forever. The depravity of man, that man, we're not kind of good, we're dead in sin, completely evil, until Christ gives us a new heart and gives us his spirit. So these are the authoritative things that he says. And so part of being a disciple is understanding first my authority comes from Christ. I don't get to pick and choose. There's no part of it. I don't like where I live. I don't like my my gifting. I don't like how smart I am. Whatever it is I don't like, I have to submit that and trust Christ. That he said marriage is structured this way. That money is structured this way. That he says, don't worry, trust him. All of these things, I got to bring it underneath that authority. I don't get to just say, well, that was then. That was then. All of it comes underneath because the next part about going to all nations and teaching all that he commanded and and making disciples or making disciples under his authority. See, when you're teaching someone how to be like you or you're teaching your kids, you know, "This this is how you're nice or polite, that's called parenting, not discipleship. Discipleship is helping people come under the authority of Jesus and be like him. It's what this passage is getting at. Okay, so the next part of this is to do it to all nations. So that authority reigns true in every part of the world. And this is another thing you'll try to hear people say. You'll say, well, in their culture, they believe in, you know, polygamy. They have multiple wives. So who are we to change their culture? They just need Christ. Is that what this passage says? Just teach I died for their sins. Nothing else matters. No, he says teach all that I have commanded and I have all authority. And do this everywhere. Every culture has to submit to the authority of Jesus. Why? Because he says he has it. So either he does or he doesn't. If he does, then we're to submit to it come underneath it, and teach others how to do the same. And so when we think of other cultures, it it literally is saying, yes, your gods are wrong, your practices are wrong. Anything that contradicts the Bible is wrong. Sacrificing, you know, animals, children, whatever it is, it's wrong. Christ is your Savior. He's the only way to God. You need to change how you're living. That's why it's so daunting to go into another culture, open your Bible, and teach what is truth. That's why it's so scary in some parts of the world. That's why we're so secretive sometimes about where we're going, um, because we don't want them, they won't be allowed in the country. They don't want to change. They don't want to be told that Christ is the only way to heaven. And so that's why it's so important when you see that all nations, It's it's a big deal. But also understand that, you know, not everyone's gonna go. We understand that. And so discipleship might look at like, Discipling your kids, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful that my wife is the primary disciple maker because she spends the most time with our kids. I'm thankful that she has the emotional temperature because I know if it were up to me, I'd just run them right over. Right? That's what lo- most dads—we just want to get it done. Right? Boom. There's tears, bloodshed. We don't care. Got done. Right? The wife's there to be like, "Whoa, slow down. This one's having a hard day. This one's struggling there." And you're like, "Oh, okay. Wow." It works together. And so that's okay. But think of it this way, even through a nation lens of, are you preparing the future to go? You know, how great is it when you get to see someone get sent from our church and you're like, I taught that kid in Sunday school. I was their small group leader. I was their VBS leader that you played a part in preparing them to go to teach all that Christ commanded to a people group that doesn't know him that helped them come underneath the authority of Jesus, that they'd know their sins are paid for. So whether you're doing it or preparing or you're thinking, man, God, send me. We all play a part in that role. Part of that is baptism, right? Baptism is a public declaration that where Jesus says, if you deny me before men, each other, I will deny you before the Father. So it's a public declaration that Christ died for you, you're underneath his authority, you've been made a new creation, even the symbolism of Noah's Ark, right? That they pass through the water, that is the wrath. The water kills everything and that the boat brings them through into safety. You're passing through the water into life, into eternal life. That's one of the reasons why we don't practice spontaneous baptism. It's a big deal. If you want to get baptized right now, you'll still want to get baptized in two weeks. Is that fair? Okay. That's why we have a conversation. Do you know what you're doing? Do you, are you ready to commit in front of all these people to be underneath the authority of Christ? To be his disciple. That you want to learn everything he commands. And that you want to do it for the rest of your life. It's not an act of salvation. But it is a public declaration that Christ himself does, that Christ himself commands us to do. And so that's why we take it very serious. And, you know, we do baptize kids, but they're kids we have conversations with. And we try to make sure, do you really know what you're doing? Do you really know what you're doing? You know, if you're uh, baptized as a baby and never baptized, that's something to pray about to come and have a public declaration like you see Christ do to an age where you can profess, to an age where you can declare because that's what the Scriptures call us to do. And so that's part of your identity that I've chosen to come underneath the authority of Jesus. And I want to help other people do that. Know that Christ isn't just the only way. He's the best way. And discipleship, it's not. It's not about saying I'm better than you. It's about saying I've been here before you. Let me help you go there under the authority of Christ. Let me help you love your spouse, parent your kid, do your job, spend your money, tackle your addiction, change your attitude, forgive this person, You know, be content with who you are and love Christ because I've had to do that before. And it's walking it through. Uh, because sometimes what you'll see in a, in a in a small group setting is you'll get maybe a layer deep into uh, what it means about to be a disciple and maybe what's going on in your life, but you won't get to that second and third layer of you know why are you angry why do you worry so much why are you you know so mean why are, why are you so why don't you ever talk about your spouse why do you always talk about This person of the opposite sex. You know, so many affairs, you can tell something's going on because someone's talking about someone, not their spouse, a lot. And if someone just would have been like, dude, what's your deal with that person? You need to knock that off. That's not your wife. That's not your husband. You have like a crush, and that's not good. Right? To, to, To get to that deeper layer where you're noticing things in people's lives, and you're helping, check this word, make. Make disciples saying this isn't an easy thing. This is why you don't plant a church in another nation by showing up, sharing the gospel, handing them a Bible, and leaving. It's not making a disciple. It's walking through every facet of their life falls under the authority of Jesus from the Scriptures, maturing them in faith, and then handing over a church that has a mature leadership to govern and make disciples under the authority of Jesus. This is a big deal, isn't it? So this is why these things take time, and it's a process, but that we all play a part of it. And so whether it's in your own home, it's at the ends of the earth, or it's preparing at this church, we all play a part of reaching the nations uh, under the authority of Jesus, teaching all that he commanded. Now, let's look at what did he command here in 20. He commanded a lot of things, right? He commanded to repent of our sins. And that if we don't repent, turn from our sins, that, that if our sins aren't paid for, that hell, a literal place, Revelation 21.8, is eternal and that's our destiny. He commands, repent. He commands, be discipled. He commands, get baptized. He commands, follow me. He commands marriages between a man and a woman. Right? He commands for us to be like him. These are all commands. And they're not time-bound commands. I want you to think through uh, some of the things that Jesus did. I want you to think through, okay, first let's get to Matthew 24, 35. Just follow my logic here. Matthew 24, 35, it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I want to revisit this idea. What part of us thinks that Jesus' words were only temporary? Now, does that make sense? You follow the question? That Jesus was just speaking to this group and that 2,000 years later we were going to look back and change the parts that didn't make sense because we have science and and brain waves and DNA and sociology and economics and and all of these things were really going to be the shaper and determiner. Do you gather that method from that verse? Not a trick question, people. No, you don't, okay? So to use the idea that it's time-bound, it just doesn't work. The other part is, well, Jesus was stuck in a culture that just wouldn't have understood same-sex. It wouldn't have understood uh, female pastors. It just wouldn't have understood changing your gender. Jesus isn't afraid to say he's the son of God. He isn't afraid to throw over the tables in the temple and say to not treat his father's house like a den of robbers. He's not afraid to talk to the tax collector. He's not afraid to talk to the Romans. He's not afraid to say, pay your taxes to Caesar. But the three things he could not do is say, hey, this guy likes guys and you should let him do this. He's afraid to say that, or he can't say that. He's afraid to say, you know what? This guy wants to be a girl, but he can't. You need to let him. Nope, the culture won't understand. This woman should be a female rabbi, but we can't, culture won't allow it. That's really where Jesus got hung up. See where I'm going with that? That's faulty, isn't it? Okay. Those are just some examples. It happens over and over and over again. Jesus just couldn't address that. Really? He says his word never passes away. He called himself the Son of God. He said he forgives sins. He says, get up, walk, and go. He wasn't afraid of any of that, but it's the culture that got him. Peer pressure is what feared him. Because science was going to come along and do what Jesus couldn't. That's a problem, isn't it? I need something from you people, isn't it? Right? Like, I need you to get this. This is a part of teaching all that he commanded. This is part of coming underneath the authority of Jesus. Because this is the part where people don't like you. This is the part that we leave out and we say, I want to win him to Jesus. It's just the wrong Jesus because I don't teach the full truth of what he commanded. It's the most unloving thing we could do, isn't it? I'm going to teach you a false Jesus so you'll think you're happy, so you'll love him because he's warm and fuzzy. But no, he is loving and he is kind, but he does say, this is how you speak. You do not worry. You trust me. You get married like this. You parent like that. You forgive, you love your enemies, you pay your taxes, and a whole bunch of other things, doesn't he? And to say, hey, just focus on this part, the rest doesn't matter. That's not who Christ is. And to win people to another other version of Christ is to win them to nothing. That's a problem, isn't it? So that's why the next part of this verse is so important. There's actually an imperative in this. Because he says, I am with you always. But where is the imperative? Behold. Behold. Hold on to this. I am with you always. Why is that so important? Because if you really do teach all that he commanded, it's going to be painful. When you try to help other Christians come underneath the authority of Jesus, it's going to be hard. It's going to be lonely. This is why Jesus says, is there no place for the Son of Man to lay his head? This is why he tells the disciples, be ready to sleep on the dirt. Be ready to be abandoned. Because you're asking people to pick up their cross and follow Christ. To come underneath the authority of Jesus as the only supreme authority in all of your life is to follow him, listen to him in all things. You might be the only Christian at your work that will be lonely. Behold, hold, he is with you. You are not alone. You might be the only Christian in your family. Behold, he is with you. Hold on to, he is with you. Always to the end of the age. You might be the only Christian in a group of people who say they're Christian. That's sad but true, isn't it? he says that might be lonely you might get laughed at mocked excluded but behold i am with you always now i know what some of you are thinking you're thinking it doesn't feel like he's there doesn't feel like that here's something we have to picture Is that because Christ moved or because we move? It's because we move, isn't it? Absolutely. Jesus says he loves us and he's with us always. He doesn't look at us and say, oh, if you would have spent five more minutes with me, I would have loved you. He tells us to repent and to change. Quit worrying so much. Quit living in fear. Quit loving things we love more than him. Quit loving politics more than we love him. Quit loving social media more than we love him. Love him, but he doesn't change. He's always there. His love is always there. That lack of love we feel is us. It's our sin. It's our disobedience. It's our desire to not be underneath his authority. It's our desire to not listen to everything he has commanded. And the scripture is very clear. Look at some of these. Romans 8:38 through 39. He says, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's huge, isn't it? And we get so caught up in, but I need this person, I need those people. What this passage is saying, those people might betray you. They might mock you like Judas, might betray you. They might crucify you upside down like Peter. They might lock you in jail like Paul. But that love is there. When you're on your deathbed and you're dying and you're scared in death, he loves you and it's there. If you die, you wake up with him in heaven. He is there. Doesn't matter who the president is, the ruler. God still loves you. Despite you thinking he doesn't love you because of the president or the governor or the mayor. Right? He still loves you, doesn't matter the ruler. Nor things present, COVID-19. He still loves you. Before COVID, after COVID and during COVID, he loves you. Things present, things to come. Doesn't matter if we get taken over by China or Russia or California, whoever. Right? No power. The love is still there. No height up in an airplane. No depths down here. Nothing in all creation. No ocean. No tornado. No rain for Hill. Right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. He is always with us. You need to hear that, know that, feel that. Because if you are going to teach all he commanded, underneath his authority, there will be some lonely moments. You'll have some lonely parenting moments. You're going to have some lonely married moments. Some lonely employee moments. Citizen moments. Father, daughter, son, sister, brother, grandfather great-grandfather, grandmother, all of them. Because you're going to tell someone something they don't want to hear, that they need to be like Christ and come underneath his authority. And the Bible says that's loving. That's what we do. That's what a disciple does. So Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 reads like this. It says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? If we could just learn that last phrase and actually believe it. What can man do to me? We have been so afraid and so worried and so worked up that we try to find our confidence and our help from money, people, social structures, identity politics, trying to seize control and authority of the things only Christ has authority over. That's why this passage says, live free from the love of money. He doesn't say you can't have money or money's bad. He says, but don't love it. Be content. Why? Because he's the one who never leaves and forsakes. And he's the one who will help. And he's the one who can protect you. And he's the one who allows you to say, what can man do to me? You can have all the money in the world and what doesn't protect you from a bomb being dropped on you. Is that fair? It just is. And you can have all the money in the world and if you go to hell, it's not buying your way out of it. Only Christ gets you to heaven. Only he can be your helper permanently. Positively, Always. He says, this is the promise for the disciple that he is with us always to the end of the age, to the ends of the earth, teaching all that he commanded for his glory and for our good. This is the beauty of the book of Matthew, which we're going to get to in about August, as it begins with Matthew 1, God with us, Emmanuel, Christ coming in flesh to be with us. And then how does Matthew in Matthew 28? He is always with us. He will never leave us. And everything in between is to prove he is with us in the beginning and he is with us to the end and he is with us in heaven. What a beautiful picture in the book of scripture, amen? And so that's what Matthew does. He ends on this beautiful note and he says, behold this. You will need this, that he's always with you no matter how hard it feels no matter how hard it is. Some questions to ask ourselves. What gets in the way of you being discipled and discipling someone? And again, this is the imperative to make that we're all called to, to get to those second and third and fourth layers of why do you do the things you do? Why don't you stop doing these things? How can I help you? Where is that coming from in your life and what gets in the way? Two, in what area of teaching all that Jesus commands are you weak? Where's an area where you're like, you know what? Jesus says no and I say yes and that's a problem. Is it your speech? Is it your worry? Is it your doubt? Is it your fear? Is it your money? Is it your marriage? Is it your hobby? Is it your personal image? Is it your politics? Is it your social media? Where you're like, no, that's my space, my area. Like, I don't want Jesus to have control of that. How can you start saying, all right, I need to fix that? And if you can't, this is where you get help from a learner, a disciple, right, to help you do that. Okay, next part of this. Uh, you can start praying for, who can you start praying for about discipling? Especially your kids, you know, they say statistically, five adults. The best situation to put your kids. So you have two parents, maybe children's pastor, youth pastor, who are the other two that will help pour into your kid. Because we all know it's true. When you say, you hear your kids say it all the time, oh guess what, mom, and guess what I just learned? You're like, I told you that a million times. Like, no, you didn't. Right? No, you didn't. Because they just they tune us out. It's a gong, it's a symbol. That's why it's saying, man, who, who else will speak into my kid's life? Who else might I speak into their lives? This is how the Christianity is formed, through people coming alongside each other, bringing them underneath the authority of Christ, teaching all that he commanded, knowing that he is always with us till the end of the age. So who is that? Who are you praying for? Four, why do people think discipleship is not everyone's job? It's everyone's job. Did this passage make a distinction? Hey, pastors do this. Men do that. Women do this. Old people do this. Teachers do that. Gifting people do You didn't see that in there, did you? No. So how can you make sure that we're all doing it? We're doing it. We're encouraging other people to do it. Because everyone plays a role. Five, in what ways do you forget that Jesus is with you always? Do you forget it when you go on social media? Do you forget it when you're talking to your kids? Do you forget it when you're talking to your spouse? Do you forget it when you're watching Fox News and you freak out that the world is ending? Right? Do you forget it when your notification lights up and tells you your bank account, your, you know, your home security alarm, I don't know what you're saying. It's whatever that is, do you forget? And you start to act like not a Christian because you're irrational, angry, mean, scared, fearful? Lose control, turn to addiction, self-soothe. Forgetting he's with you. He loves you. He does not forsake you. He perfectly knows you. Are you forgetting that in a circumstance? And how can you make sure you're reminded in that moment, he's with me, he's with me. Trust his authority, trust his care, trust his character. And then six, similar question. What areas of your life need to come under Jesus' authority that aren't currently? Look, we all have something where God says, no, you don't do that. We're like, but I want to do that. It's fun. It's sin. And he says, no. The Christian, the disciple is saying, but I'm working on handing that over for that to come underneath. Whether it's my speech, whether it's my friends, whether it's my attitude. Whether it's my money, my marriage, my kids, my work, whatever it is, I'm really working on that. Because I want all of my life to be under his authority. Because I'm a disciple. And there's nothing better than loving and following Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you Um, that we are tasked with trusting you with all of our life. We are tasked with. Trusting you to be the authority in all things, that we are trusting you to lead us. And it's my deep prayer as a church we would help each other trust you, love you, be led by you for your glory and for our good. That is our deep prayer. And God it is our prayer now that you would reign in our hearts and give us a passion to sing and praise you and thank you for all the ways you love us, for all the ways you provide, for all the things you've done, but mostly that we would praise you for Christ, paying for our sins, that we would praise you for the love that never leaves, love that will be there in heaven, the love that we cannot escape. We thank you and we praise you for that. And it's my that we would now praise you in song for who you are and what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.